Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is also brought to you by Green Scene. Green Scene is a family-owned company recognized as the Sizzle Award winner for outdoor living in Williamson County. We design and construct areas to blend with the natural landscape of your yard. That can include outdoor spaces, gazebos, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and yes, putting greens. We understand the importance of your home. That's why we never settle for anything but the best. Green Scene also provides multiple teams with professional landscape maintenance, irrigation, and outdoor lighting. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is a new acquaintance of mine as I met him at the TEDx, Old Hickory, uh, an entrepreneur himself, and more importantly, a human connector. And in the world we live in today, uh, if you've listened to this show long enough, I'm a big believer in the book Celestine Prophecy. And the Celestine Prophecy, one of the main points of the of the movie is you never know who you're going to meet. You're, there's no person that's put in front of you, whether you're on an airplane, a bus, walking down the sidewalk. If you're there with that person, there's a reason why it was put there in front of you. But in the world we live in today, most people have their earbuds in and choose not to communicate. But my guest is a human connector, uh, an event planner, <laughs> and in real estate. And is there anything else that you don't do, Jim? Joining me today, the real Jim Morris. Jim, how are you doing today, buddy? Wonderful, brother. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I love entrepreneurship and I love creativity, but more than anything, you love to bring people together. And one of the mantras of your impact events is you know, you're only one person away from changing your life's trajectory. Literally, we were just talking off, off the air here about how frustrating it is that people don't see that on a regular basis. And maybe the culture that we're living in, maybe the time that we're living in, those dreams and hopes have never been squished more. But it also, also what I try to get people to understand, it's never been easier to dominate than it is right now. Therein lies the tug of war that we face between our own volition and desire to, to bring people together fighting against the culture of pulling people apart. What was the the impetus and or the idea behind impact events when you already had such an incredible uh, real estate career? So for me, I started the company in 2020. Uh, I owned another business and the pandemic occurred and I realized that the big box companies were going to dominate and the little guys and gals were going to get crushed. And that's exactly what happened to me in my business. So I decided to just get people together, um, remove the high tech and work on high connection, right? Um, and get people in a room because at that time when you're facing tragedy or you foresee, you know, things not going the way you had planned and have invested and built your business and I mean, I had 56 contracts signed, uh, none of them closed during the pandemic. And for me, about a year ago, I lost my way of why I started this event company. 
you know, I was using it as a lead source for my real estate business. And I was at the dinner table with my wife and I was like, you know, emotional. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck am I doing? Like, (laughs) this is not why I, I did this. I was on a real estate team that didn't align with my core values. And I'm like, although real estate's amazing, I love negotiation. I'm really good at it. I sold a ton of houses. I made a lot of money. Uh, it wasn't fulfilling my heart. Mm-hmm. So my wife said, don't sell the company, don't close it, sleep on it. The next day I woke up and I said, this is exactly my calling. This is exactly what I need to do. I was the struggling entrepreneur. I've sold a business, shut down a business, had successful businesses. I operate two businesses. I'm like, I need to be around entrepreneurs and I need to help them because I believe entrepreneurs are the innovators of the world. We are the crazy people with the crazy ideas that come to fruition and change the trajectory of the world. And I mean, look at Uber, right? The person who started Uber was crazy, but now your grandmother can get her medicine because she can't drive. She can take an Uber and go get it. Right. Like, so there's, and there's millions of those different stories and opportunities. And I didn't want to suppress that. And I almost gave up on entrepreneurship. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just want to build a platform where we can impact others and influence their results. And I believe it starts with relationships. Relationships are rocket ships. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that. What, do you, what have you found to be the hardest part of the dream, the entrepreneurial dream of this, of impact events? Having faith that this is the right move, you know? Mm. I've only been married a year to my wife. Mm -hmm. I've got a 10-month-old little baby, and I'm transitioning from an extremely lucrative career. And I still do real estate, just Mm -hmm. on a smaller scale for clients I absolutely love and adore. Sure, Um, But having the faith that this is the right move, especially in an early marriage, especially in an early family. Um, So I think that's the hardest thing is just staying on that path of positivity and you're making the right decision, you know? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan. And even though I've never met him, I've never been to one of his, his five day events. Um, I've watched probably 700 hours of his information. And anytime I feel like I'm being beaten down because it seems like my, the the dreams or the goals that I'm put, trying to put out for myself and my community are being stalled. And as I talk about all the time, I think that as you get closer to the top of the pyramid, there are more feet on your head than there are hands reaching down to help lift you up. I just find it, it, it's the level of perseverance and persistence required might be the thing that they don't tell you when it comes to being a dreamer. Totally. totally. What What are some of the fundamentals that you're using to help you fight through the moments in which you're second guessing yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm doing this for a pure reason in my heart. There's nothing that can break that. Um, the event company used to be about Jim Morris. The, this is not about me. Nothing that I'm doing is about me. So for me to get through some of the tough times, right? Cause we get knocked down all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like life is not a steady trajectory, uh, North it's zigzagged, right? Up, down, up, down. But knowing that my heart is in it and the reason why I'm doing it and that it's my calling has allowed me to get through those tough times and persevere and navigate them. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to do anything else but this. And if I'm going to give up on my dream, then I might as well give up on life. 
you got that right. And I, th- I just, I think one of the hardest parts is the discipline to just keep doing what you're doing, because we and and the world we live in today, the f- the faster the information you can get, makes you feel like the, it shouldn't take very long to be successful, because a lot of the things that we want to know are literally a, a Siri. Tell me this. They're available. Yeah. It's so readily available that it, you're not used to waiting. You're not used to having to be patient. And I really can't imagine what this next generation is going to face when it comes to the real life persistence and patience to navigate chasing your dreams. Because it is not an immediate shot. Almost, If it's a, a quick hit, it is luck. You got on the right place at the right time, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But don't expect that to be the case. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And so, like, so you got this really big event coming up October 27th. Talk to us a little bit about the event and what it is that you're trying to cultivate in this particular event. Yeah. So it's called Impact Effect 23. It's going to be in our backyard here in downtown Nashville at Wild Horse, 66,000 square feet. We also have the building next to it uh, for a VIP party uh, or VIP breakfast. And we're going to be doing some podcasts for the VIPs as well with some of the speakers. But what you can expect is 10 speakers, five special guests. And that's not even the best part about it. The fact that we have curated the room, we have qualified quality and are putting the right people together so they can have that conversation that changes their life uh, is really the coolest part about it. Because although people who throw events and conferences, they say that they're going to do that, I'm actually doing that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tell the story is I refunded a $500 ticket because the person had a bad attitude. So I'm not going to let a monetary value green piece of paper potentially ruin what I'm trying to build and cultivate and curate in a specific room. The other thing that we do is we, uh, that I think is really cool is I'm actually calling every single person that signs up and I'm asking them, what are you looking for? Who are you looking to meet? What are your goals? What are your dreams? And how can I help you personally? Mm -hmm. And then we're going to assign them seating around people who can potentially help them so we can increase the odds of having that conversation that changes their life. Um, So that's really important to me because I'm so relationship-based, one, but also anytime I've been in the darkest days, I've had things crush me, I thought there was no light at the end of the tunnel, I had negative thoughts, I couldn't get out of it, people are what pulled me out of those dark moments. So... How can I live a life or throw a massive conference where we're not focusing on people, we're not focusing on relationships? So I took that onto my duty to make sure that I'm conversing with every single attendee and I understand how I can personally help them and then push that out to our team. The other cool thing about it is uh, I've interviewed so many people at these events and conferences over the last year that most people say that they, from between 10 and 12 days after a conference, they lose the motivation, they hit a roadblock. So what we're doing is, included with the one-day, full-day conference, we bring you back for four follow-up events for Q&A with the speakers. So that way, you leave with your action items, you go implement... Maybe you crush the first one, it's easy peasy, you're good, business is great, you go into your second action item, 
you hit a roadblock, right? You're like, okay, this makes sense, but my life cycle in my business or my industry, like I don't really know how to navigate this action item. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we bring you back. So you can actually ask the person who taught you that and break down those barriers. And the cool thing about it is I don't want more money from you. And that's what pissed me off about conferences, right? I've leave with these action items, I'd hit a roadblock, and then I gotta pay you $17,000 to coach me, like, or $5,000 for some Zoom calls. Like, I don't want that. I want you to pay the, the cheapest tickets, 500 bucks, and it includes a one-day conference and the four follow-up events. So you're getting five events live in person for the price of what most conferences cost for that one single day. Yeah. And I believe that you can learn a ton of knowledge and have a ton of wisdom, but again, you are going to need those reference points and those relationships and those people and the community we're building to navigate these things because questions come up, uh, concerns come up. Maybe we need a little refresher. Hey, how'd you hear this? How'd you implement it? Maybe we need to bounce ideas off of each other. So by bringing people back for four more events, we're building that community and we're allowing you to grow those relationships at a deeper level to connect deeper have success and give back to maybe your fellow folks that you met at the conference yeah. to ensure they're successful as well. Interesting. Who were the the people, you know, probably no more than five, but as many people as you'd like to share that are like the, the, the helium in your balloon that keep lifting you up or the ones that gave you the ground to stand on, so to speak, to be creative, be entrepreneurial, and be successful. Who are the people that are your guidepost? Yeah. Um, I First and foremost, my wife. You know, um, her support, her love, her encouragement, you know, in any project and idea uh, has just been amazing. And, you know, growing up and watching my father um, really take ownership of the home and really support and make sure that the relationship between my mom and dad was good and was vetted and, and ideas or if they did this or that was, I've watched that be so important. And I go to my wife and say, you know, hey, I feel like I'm failing you. You know, like this idea or this concept, it, maybe it didn't go off right. You know, and I'm talking about previous events. Sure. Um, and, or, or I've lost money on events. Right. Like I've I've done the big venue and had 100 people show up and lost three thousand dollars. Right. So I go to her in those moments and she's like, no, this is just part of the plan. This is part of the learning that's going to get you to the big conference and be able to fulfill your dream year after year. Yeah. Like this conference is going to be every year until I die every single year. And it's just going to get better and better with better people. Um, and stronger folks that want to help, want to give back to the community and want to build that, you know, presence amongst each other. So I would say my wife, um, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I'm someone who really takes nuggets and information, um, things that I like about that I hear, things that I don't like. And I really just download them into my life and my brain and where I want to go aligned with my core values. So I, I don't think I can pinpoint someone that's like, you know, told me, hey, this, you know, they're the, my foundation because I'm always absorbing and I'm always analyzing like, that was amazing. I'm going to use that, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, I don't really, that, that didn't make me feel good. Or I watched that interaction and I don't want to do that. Yeah. But I will say this. 
five years ago, I watched a podcast with Brad Lee and um, Ed Milet. And that did that was a major foundation because although it took me four years to implement, what Brad Lee said was the most important relationship is the one you have with yourself. And I heard that, and then I heard it again, and then I heard it again, and it didn't never clicked. But I remembered it. And about a year ago, uh, I went to a conference in a in Long Beach, California, and he said it again, and it clicked. And that next day, I changed everything in my life because I didn't like the relationship I had with myself. Uh, I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. I was drinking too much. I was smoking nicotine. I wasn't being the best person. You know, I still had the the underlying big heart that I had, but I was just doing stupid stuff, you know, and wasn't aligned with my core values and, and didn't have a lot of confidence, right? So making good money, doing a bunch of great things, popping around over town, traveling, but... I believe that confidence comes with clarity mm-hmm. and I didn't have the clarity to then be confident. Yeah. Interesting. So that relationship with myself, I'd say Brad Lee, you know, uh, was a major influence in that. And that, uh, really has transcended a lot of things. And funny enough, uh, especially on timing, it's Friday on Monday, my podcast with Bradley airs right and on. I talk about uh, the relationship with yourself. Oh, that's yeah, great. So funny how <laughs> you asked that question yeah. and literally on Monday, you'll see me on dropping bombs. I think it's 29 in the U S for podcasts. Way to go. Man. Yeah. So I love that. <laughs> well, I, I think that, you know, do you feel like when you're struggling that you struggle on the anxiety side of life, which is the future or the depressive side of life, which is the things that have happened to you? I'm trying to work on having faith uh-huh. because I used to be the victim, right? Parents grew up, you know, blue collar, got addicted to Oxycontin. My dad fell off a telephone pole, broke both of his knees. My mom, six months later, had lung cancer, had half of her lung removed, prescribed Oxycontin, right? So for a long time in my life, I was angry. I was pissed. I had resentment. And um, now I'm in a phase, and I never had faith. Like, I never thought I'd get married. I never thought I'd have a kid. I was just trying to live to 25 and then live to 30. And I made a ton of mistakes along the way. But I think for me is where I'm at right now in my life in the season is really looking to the future and trying to have faith and because I want to impact so many people. Yeah. When, you, when you publicly say you want to help 1,100,100 entrepreneurs, there's a little anxiety that comes with that yeah. because it's a massive goal. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, why not just 100 or 100,000? And I'm like, I need to play bigger so I land big, yeah. you know? Um, so I think for me, I'm tr- the anxiety may or the fear may come from the future, but I'm trying to work on the faith because I do believe that this is a very heart centric thing that I'm doing, and and it is my calling. Yeah, like I, this is what I want to do, and this is what I'm gonna do. So I just have to have faith that it's all gonna work out, especially when you transition from an extremely lucrative career in real estate. Yeah, um, to something that I could potentially lose two hundred fifty thousand dollars on. Yeah. I think it's it's fascinating as I study the brain for human performance, uh, certainly in my sport, right? So, because almost everything, well, everything comes out of your brain. It all starts there, right? So when I see, when you tell me that in this moment that you were drinking too much and you were, you were smoking and, and all those things, we're always in search of 
getting out of our reality. Oh, yeah. To be in a different state. And I, don't, I personally believe that there's nothing really wrong with that when it's done in moderation. Because it's those times where you kind of step out of the, of the grind. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Now, I'm someone who doesn't drink anymore, uh-huh. but I we can go to the bar right now. Like it doesn't phase me, it doesn't matter to me because I do believe very similar to you. I think that you have to have some type of opportunity just to relax. And if yeah. that's a nice pour of some wine, mm-hmm. if that's a nice scotch, whiskey, like that's fine. But you're talking you're talking about Broadway Jim Morris, like yeah. running up and down the streets, spending six, seven hundred dollars a night going bananas, uh, you know, trying to suppress the feelings and trying to suppress the emotions that were tied back to things that happened in my life. Yeah. You know? Um, so I took it to, to, uh, on overcharge yeah. and that's really my personality, everything I do. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, putting together this massive conference and creating these massive goals, like that's how I operate. Sure. So I can do it just as bad. I can do that in a negative way or I can do that in a positive way. Yeah. And now I'm in the season of how do I use that energy? How do I use those stories? How do I use my fear, anxiety in a positive way to help others? Yeah, I think that one of the most important things that I've learned is that the anxiety, if you, I almost like the, I like to use different words because anxiety has a negative connotation, but the vibrations, the energy that comes out of the apprehension of the future is what gives you more power than you would already have without it. It's the ability to learn how to harness the energy because it's just your body preparing yourself for the dream. And you have to be bigger than you've been. Totally. Right? Now, here's the, here's the catch, right? You can't do anything past 20% past your best or you'll choke. But it, you, if it required winning to have won, nobody would have ever won. But it's the visualization, the writing things down, preparing. It's the visualization, preparation that build up the the mind because if your brain has already seen yourself succeed science has already proven that there is zero difference between a vividly imagined event and the actual event yep brain reacts the same way yeah so what has to happen is you have to cultivate your desires which is the manifestation of the the law of attraction right and somebody's like oh my god Virgil, here we go law of attraction blah, blah, blah. but i mean if people actually think about anything they've ever had come to fruition for their life this is how i catch it because they can't deny it now they're like oh god well you're right how much of that did you visualize before you did it how much did you put out into the universe that you were going to do this Everybody says, well, I did that. I'm like, so there's the key, is that you can actually use this all day, every day, to bring into your life what it is that you want. It, the, what, how it happens is, is that if you follow the processes to success, I can guarantee you that you will have success. The only thing that I can't tell you is when it will happen. 
Correct. And there is the anxiety part. But that's the energy so that when you hear that knock on the door and you're like, who's there? It's opportunity. When you open the door, you already have a place setting at the table for them because you've been waiting for them all your life. I love it. Love it. And that is where, you know, my TED Talk stems from. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? Is that all of those things swirl in my head. Get a pair, right? Yep. Uh, That acronym, I mean, I could use a bunch of different words, but I'm trying to create words, uh, an acronym that is provocative, thought-provoking, and gives you something that you can easily remember so that when you're wondering what it takes, you can think about something that was, you know, had multiple meanings. It made you laugh, but it made you think, and it kind of hurt. And it gives you a plan. So all of that preparation, all of the visualization, all of the work, and you're just sitting at the table waiting. Plate sitting there, fine china, the greatest wine in the world, so to speak, or whatever you want to have there. Everything's ready. You're just waiting for the door to knock. That's it. And I think that I wish people would understand in, in this faith world. Like I don't really try to judge one religion over another, one person's faith that's different than somebody else's. I love people who do what they say they're going to do. That's, I mean, that's the number one quality that I look for in someone. Yeah. It's where I find the most resentment and unaligned with people. Yeah. And the reason why is no one's perfect. And I get that. Like, I'm not saying if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to execute it. And, and I'll give you an example. I told a bunch of people we were going to build this planner called the impact effect and give it to everybody. I didn't have the resources to build it, right? I, you know, the cost, I I had to cut something out of this conference. That was it. So I think for me, like I said, I was going to do that to to a small circle of people and I didn't, but I was honest about about it that I wasn't going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the difference is. And that's where, you know, human nature separates, I think, in a way. If, if, if you decide you're not going to do something you said you're going to do, you need to go tell the people that it involves or, you know, that are incorporated with it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, what is it? What's the, what's the old saying? Good news travels fast, but bad news better, dra- better travel faster. Yeah. People don't play that. You know, people don't play their life or people don't align their life with that concept. And I think that hurts sometimes, yeah. you know, I always trying to get people to be the bison, not the bull. You know, the only animal in the world that runs into the storm is a bison. Bulls run away. Yep. You know, here comes the storm. Let's get further away. I heard that for the first time last Tuesday. Was that right? Yep. And I loved it. Yeah. It's like, I've gotten better at this because I was, I grew up in a place where conflict was not, was had the wrong connotation to it. And I'll never forget. I think maybe I was 30. So that's almost 20 years ago. Maybe 33. Kobe Bryant was coming off of his lawsuit in Colorado. And he was dealing with the fact that he, he and Shaq were on the outs. And he made this statement that I'll never forget. I love conflict. The key to conflict is to immediately walk into it and get it over with. And I have never lived that life. I remember the first time that I had conflict. 
after hearing that. And I walked into it. And just prior to saying what, what it was like maybe 10 minutes before I walked on the stage at TEDx, that was the scariest moment that I can ever think of in my life. Was to like walk into somebody that I cared about who did something that really hurt me. And instead of I would have just let it go and the resentment would have piled up. Yep. I walked into it. I was terrified. I, mean, I, can, I can feel it in my body right now how terrified I was. And the, when I, the first sentence out of my mouth was the hardest sentence at that point I'd ever said. And it was over in like 12 minutes, and it was better. Yep. And I'm like, holy cow, all I needed to do was to just walk into the fire. And on the other side of it was the cold air that I was needing. I just needed to face it. And then I, I, I'll say the second one was less scary, still scary. But I've gotten into a good habit of if something happens, now there's obviously ways to do it. And I've, I've always been somebody who cares about the other person's feelings or what they're doing. So I'm empathetic toward, towards their feelings toward me. But I'm like, I want to understand why you would think that about me. What has happened? And before I would just be like, I didn't do that. And I, how dare you think that that's the kind of person I am and then just walk away. I'm like, man, did I do did I do something that made you feel that? And then they would say, yes, this. And I'm like, wow, that wasn't my intention. That would, That's what you heard or that's what you felt? Well, I'm sorry that that's what happened. And this was my intention. And let me reword it or re, redo totally. this. Totally. I mean, that's one of the scariest things I've ever had to face. And as I get better at it, I have less resentment in my life. I have less, like, harbored pain in my life. I think it comes down to the concept of avoidance. Oh, yeah. Right? So most people's anxiety comes from avoidance. You know you're supposed to do something or you know you need to have that conversation. You can't run away from it. Right? You're maybe going to see that person again or maybe you do business with them or maybe you're going to speak on a stage or whatever you know, the surrounding is or, the, or you know, the context within the situation. But at the end of the day, I believe that whenever I'm feeling anxious or out of you know, alignment or any of those things, I look back and I go, what am I avoiding? And most of the time it's conflict yeah. because I have a big heart and I don't want to fight with people. You know, I did that when I was going through my traumas in high school and college, yeah. right? I was getting beat up every freaking weekend. That's how I dealt with my anger. I don't want to live my life like that. So I can't use those situations to avoid the conflict. I need to use those situations to run into the conflict because I know now that avoiding those tough situations or conversations actually create all the anxiety because I know I should be having that conversation. Yeah. So I think avoidance is such a large concept that isn't really talked about a lot, you know, like, and we know why we want to avoid it. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. But, but how much did you grow from that conversation you had? Right. Oh, and man. we talk about that uncomfortable growth and it's this big cliche thing. You got to get uncomfortable, but we never really talk about these situations of uncomfortability, you know, having to have that conversation or, you know, having to fire a friend that works for you. You know, like those are all things that we probably want to avoid. Any of us would want to avoid, mm -hmm. you know, and when you do avoid that, that's where I believe the problems start to grow. 
and that negative energy starts to grow and build up, whether you're building it up in your head or the other person is or social media, digital market, whatever, but that build up, it, that's where that it starts stacking, stacking, stacking. And it's like, man, let's just not avoid this next time. Hit it head on, run yeah. into that storm, be the, be the bison. You that's know? right. I think one of the, the scariest things that I'm, I'm currently you know, dealing with is that business and friendships are universally separate. But while you're going through it, they're completely entangled. And the conversation of going into business with a friend needs to be done right out of the gate. Yep. As in like, hey man, I just need you to know something. I love you. You're my brother, you know. But if this starts to go off the rails, I'm 51% owner, you're 49 or however, yep. however it is. If I have to let you go, it's not because I don't love you. Is that my life is staked upon this company or this idea or whatever, and it's not working out. And if it's not working out for me, it's also not working out for you. Yeah. So we're going to face that, but it's going to be interdependent from our friendship. Or if it's not, you can't take this position. Totally. Totally. Because then if he, if that person knows, like, I could get fired from this position, even though he's my boy. Yep. Yep. That means that guy's got integrity. He's responsible. He's accountable. And he knows he loves me enough to tell me if this doesn't work out, I'm going to have to set you free. Instead, they just think that the friendship's going to overrule business, and that's the death of business. That's right the death there. of business. That's the death of business. And if you're doing business, you know, and you're going to put over your, you know, you're going to layer over your friend is more important than the business that's going to help hundreds or thousands of people, then where's your integrity? Yeah, no doubt. Right? Because now you're sacrificing one person to not potentially help the hundreds of thousands that you planned on based on your concept or your company. Yeah, absolutely. What's the big goal? What's, what do you, what do you see five years from now? Where would you like to be five years from now that you're on this trajectory that you start on, you know, in 2020, five years. So 2028, where do you want to see your company? Um, I'd love to, um, throw multiple conferences a year. Um, one of the things that I've learned this year, especially here in Music City, is there's such a disconnect between, um, you know, the creative artist, talent, musician, and then the business side, right? And Music City started with the musicians and the talent and all that, and then the business has erupted over the last 15, 20 years, and the, the city's massively growing. So... Um, it, I talk to so many people in the business world who want to engage with the talent and the creatives and they just don't know how to and they don't know what resources to use. And, you know, I think there's so many people already doing amazing things in that space that can also help businesses grow and it can be this, you know, 
massive opportunity. So for me, I want to do something that brings both of those communities together. Yeah, that's outstanding. Um, and I think that's really important because those are the two pillars for Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Now, as you get outside of Middle Tennessee, obviously we're an agriculture state and farming and things like that. Um, but I feel like in this, you know, middle, middle Tennessee metro area, that's so important. So for me, I would love to impact effect 23 will become 24, 25, 26. I'll do that every year until I die. Yeah. Um, but I'd also like to look at different segmentations of cultures, whether it's, you know, related to business or not and how to intertwine both of those. I I just feel like that's on my heart lately. Um, and then also for me, like I want to, I want to speak around the world. You know, I want to talk about relationships. I want to tell stories. I want to meet amazing people. I want to help them. I want to unmute them. You know, the cool thing about owning an event company is I get to actually choose who I put on the stage. Yeah. And what I'm realizing is I just want to put people that I align with their core values on stage that can really impact others. So my goal is hopefully I'm traveling and speaking all over the the world, um, but also I'm enhancing and leveling up this conference and then also looking for other opportunities to bring maybe two different cultures together or two different entities that can really flourish. Yeah. Because I do see a lot of gaps. Um, and I do think that it's just crazy to me because there's so much opportunity and we, we both need each other, like specifically in Music City. like. Yeah. I couldn't tell you how many people I interviewed and went through and, you know, tried to work with on the creative side or the video side or the production stage side. And it's like, I'm speaking two different languages because I don't know it. And they know it so well that it's tough to communicate with me. And I just want to, I want to bleed, you know, thread that needle and, and make sure there's more synergies. Yeah. Man, that's so, that's so important as an entrepreneur myself i mean i guess i'm a golf teacher but you know i feel like i've written three books two of them with former vanderbilt basketball star drew maddox and we did we were a nationally syndicated podcast 100 episodes based on our books i've done all this public speaking i'm fresh off tedx and it's like i feel like i'm one person away from doing tv and golf I feel like I'm one person away from using my books to help businesses. I feel like I'm one person away from using my the thesis behind my TEDx talk to be speaking around the, the world. Totally. To 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 do stuff. Like business was like I got to a point where I just didn't want to be known as the guy somebody goes to see or the girl that somebody goes to see to take their golf game to the next level. I want to be able to do that, but I don't ever want to lose my love for it. And the only way to do that is to keep growing inside of yourself, the internal growth to expand your horizons so that when you have a more worldly view of different challenges, just like you talked about what you're a benchmarker, you take a little bit off this guy and a little bit off this guy and put it in your front pocket. Like those things that are going to make me a better golf teacher by putting myself in radically uncomfortable situations. Because when you're trying to win a golf tournament, you're radically uncomfortable. 
What did you make that decision that you didn't want to be just be the golf teacher? Like, did something happen? Was it a specific day you can remember? Were you thinking about like your legacy? And because uh, th- that's, that's a great for question. me, I started thinking about death. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go negative here, but like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to live to 140. So at 140, yeah. <laughs> what do I want to be remembered for? And yeah. that's when I really was like, not for selling cool houses. Yeah. Not for being a great negotiator. Not for saving you eighty thousand on a two million dollar home. That's not what I want to be remembered for. Yeah. So that's why it sparked my interest of of your transition in in your brain in that thought process. A couple of things. Um, I was in an event. Funny, speaking, funny how that works. Speaking, and somebody that I didn't know. Why do we have a golf teacher speaking? And I'm like, hold on a second. I'm, you can't pigeonhole me as a golf teacher. Wow. Wow. That's, that sounds like a powerful moment, man. Like, oh, whoa. Just because that's what I do doesn't mean that's who I am. Yep. And then I, w- I would say that the conversation I had with Drew Maddox, the first time I met him, never, I mean, I, I booed him off the golf, I booed him off the basketball court in 1995. Um, at Mississippi State, he played at Vanderbilt, and then we we whipped him bad, and I and I, we were just <laughs> laughing and having a good time. But in that conversation, he's a dreamer. He's a coach, a really good coach, and he's like, "Man, I've I can't believe you wrote a book, man. I always wanted to write a book." And I'm like, "Well, let's just write one together." I can tell you, I already wrote one, and it was pretty boring. You know. But I, I think collaborating would be funner, and I'd grow more because I'd, I'd be held accountable. I couldn't just kind of slough it off. I don't feel like doing it today. Yeah. Responsibility is deeper. Yeah. So then that took off, and then I saw how much I grew with Drew writing our two books together. And then that just like between somebody telling me that I'm pigeonholed as a golf teacher and then I found another person like-minded on the same kind of mental trajectory of, I don't want to be just a basketball coach, Virgil. And I'm like, I don't want to be just a golf coach, Drew. He goes, well, let's just do something. So doing something different together made us both grow. Now we're kind of in this place where like, okay, man, we've done, we've done a lot of cool things, but it hasn't really done anything yet. So we're like, we're always like, we feel like we're that one person away from connected to deliver that message on a much grander scale. I mean, obviously being on a national platform like Cumulus Media is no, I'm not saying that that's chump change. I'm very grateful for that opportunity, but like we were supposed to be big time with a bank. Every week we were, we were going to be doing a, a call with a bank. Literally the Friday, be the, 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 we were supposed to do it on Friday, and that Monday, COVID hit. Wow. And the shutdown. And now that bank has basically said, we're not really interested in doing that anymore. So we had our opportunity, and then the Rona took it away. I mean, come on, Rona. Help me out. <laughs> but I think that that's like, that's where I wanted to stretch myself. Now, obviously, I know now the power that forever, as long as there's a cloud out there, that my kids, my kids' kids, and their kids' kids will always be able to listen to 
my podcasts that I've done. Yep. They'll always be able to read the books that I wrote. They'll be able to see all the videos yep. that I've done on the Golf Channel, News Channel 5. So one of my key questions that I've asked on my podcast over and over again is, and I won't ask it because we're going to talk about it right now, as in it's like Jason Silva is one of the greatest minds in the world. And he posed this question like, I guess it's probably five or six years ago. And he says, you know, in an ancient Indian proverb, says there's there's three deaths. The day that you find out that you're going to die, the day that you die, and the last time anybody ever mentions your name. Wow. That's the final death. And wow. then, he, then he looks into his phone and says, what are you doing to extend that last life? And that's probably the only other thing that I will never forget. When it, Why am I trying to be not just a golf teacher. It's because I want that. I don't want that that last death to occur for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, we all have a limited amount of time we're going to live here in flesh, and then, you know. Man, thanks for sharing that. That was powerful. That yeah. was powerful. But I mean, at the end of the day, I want I want my my sons when they're eighty and they got their grandkids, and somebody asks them about, well, tell me about your dad. And like, well, let's listen to this this podcast that he did. Yeah. Or let's here's his book that he wrote in 2020. Man, that's gonna be that's huge. And the leg, I guess that's the legacy piece. But I didn't do it like selfishly. Is I want to be able to I want be able to have something that can last forever for my kids, and then their kids' kids and. Ultimately, hopefully, they embrace that courage to face the fear of going out, at, going out into the world, and do something with it. Yeah, you're setting an example for multiple generations. I yeah. mean, it's powerful. It's admirable as well. You know, even the concept of you spending time and thinking about that, and then immediately implementing, and not only writing one book, but writing several. Yeah. Not only creating one podcast, but creating several. Yeah. You know. Like you took that and you transformed it into action, and that's impressive, man. Yes. That's impressive. So I love yes. it. Thanks so, for thanks for sharing that uh, with me, my, brother. My, now, now I got to write that down. I got to find that, Google it, put it on my board in my house. Yeah, the vision board. That's it. That's yeah. it. I've got a. Um, <laughs> I told this to a friend the other day. I've got a whiteboard in the shower and all of it. Really, man. I love oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, because you know I wrote a blog five years ago called "The Power of the Shower." And I didn't really know what I was saying. That's so true, though. But the reality of it is, I'm like, man, so many of my ideas come in the shower. It's the only time I'm in a relaxation state. There's no baby screaming. There's no cell phone in my hands. Like, I used to be the guy that would be texting and writing emails while taking a shower. And I'm like, what am I doing? Right. Yeah. And then I separate from that, use it as a relaxation state. Uh, a state of clarity and it's just like boom 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 ideas come and i'm writing them on the you know <laughs> trying to take the the towel because it's you know the, yeah. the the board is might have some residue on it from the steam right and i can't write with the with the marker yeah. but you know it's those little things and and now i'm going to write that on my board what you just said earlier it's funny man a great friend of mine jimmy griscom he used to call me all the time and be like Hey, they call me the scientist because the 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 terminology that I use to help describe help him play better golf, and uh, he'll be like science. 
You know what I was feeling in the shower this morning? I like Jimmy. <laughs> don't, don't. I don't need that. to know those details. <laughs> Jimmy no, 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 boy. No, no, no. I was just at the top of the backswing. <laughs> and then, Jimmy, still, I don't need those details. That's right. And then it happened last. We did a golf school last week, and uh, this gentleman shows up because after the first day of the golf school, we have dinner with everybody, and this guy's like. I'm sorry I'm late. I was in the shower. And you you know that thing you said on the, on the driving range today about where I put the golf club at the top, how high it needs to feel? I was I just had that water beating down on my head, and I was just, I just had to get the hands hired. I was like, the shower power. That's it. That's it. That's it, man. That is so good. Well, the most important part of my podcast, based around the feedback that I get from people, is this question. What is that one thing that you faced in your life that you thought there was no way you could overcome it? But once you did, it steeled your resolve that you could persevere through anything and come out the other side the way you want to. It's, it's got to come back to that relationship with myself, man. That level of clarity that equated to confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <clears throat> I tell the story often where, and I never would tell this story, but like, I'm 6'5", 240 today, right? When I was younger, I hit puberty late. So I had a squeaky voice. I was the, I was the tallest dude and sounded like a little girl. Like, I just had a squeaky voice. So I always suppressed my voice and never wanted to speak because of that trauma, that relationship I had with myself. I thought that I shouldn't be on stages. So once I really came into that and started looking, why do I feel like that? And I traced it back to that situation, that trauma, essentially. And once I got over that and started loving myself, it, my whole life's changed in the last year, man. Yeah. Like, like it, the last 12 months of my life, I feel like I'm a completely different person for the better. And that's not because I don't drink Bud Light anymore, right? Or I don't, drink a gla- I don't have a nice glass of wine. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's it it's the other things. It's the mentality. It's the clarity. It's it's the confidence I have in myself at this point. Sure, you know. And there's times where I don't feel confident. There's times where, you know, I'm nervous, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, getting on this stage at my, at, you know, at Wild Horse and the sixty-six thousand square feet venue and the and the projectors and the lights and all the people. I'm going to be nervous, right? Yeah. I'm not going to have full confidence. I'm not going to walk in there. I'll be sweating. You'll see a little sweat on the lip and, oh, a, yeah. you know, bead down the side of the head. But I think for me, it's, I know why I want to have that talk. I know wh- what it's going to do for people. I know how it's going to change their life. I know strategically after I speak, we set up a relationship rally so people can implement literally right after I talk. So, yeah, I'm confident about it, but still it's nerve wracking. Yeah. But I never would have been on that stage. I never would have been in North Carolina last week, L.A. three weeks ago, you know, Texas uh, three months ago. Like, I never would have had the opportunity to share my story with people and watch <clears throat> and, and watch it help those folks. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's been the relationship with myself and really trying to dig down into the, my belief systems because your belief systems create the emotions yeah. and the emotions can destroy you or enhance you. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I know I said it earlier, but I really think that's the biggest and most pivotal moment, pivotal moment in my life that's awesome. has been really just focusing inward on me yeah. and not allowing some of those things that happened over the years or suppressing some of those issues or allowing those things to create my belief system. Yeah. Right. 
And that's just, that's been so pivotal in business. It's been pivotal for my mindset, my heart, my personal life. And I think it's all one unit, you know, like we talk about balance and, and that's great. And there should be time for self-care and all that. But like in a normal, regular day, where is their balance? We live in a world that's your phones. I mean, there's probably 30 text messages and 20 emails right now in the last hour we've chatted, right? Yeah. I, I can hear, feel my phone going off. Like you never get away from that. So I think to, to, try to push away those distractions and have some silent time with yourself, some relaxation time allows you to work on that relationship and then be able to go right back into those text messages, those emails and, and have a better experience for you and for the others that you're serving. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. It's like extreme ownership over victimhood. You had to own yourself because you were living in a world where, you weren't succeeding because of somebody else. Nick Cavuto sent me something this week when I was, you know, just, just going through it. I got crushed, man. I just mm. had a bunch of personal stuff happen. I had, you know, a couple things in business happen. And he sent me the Jocko video of, like, this bad stuff's happening. And he's like, good. 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 <laughs> good. Right? I watched that probably five times this week, yeah. right? So, like, I'm I'm not perfect, man. And I'm always trying to work on myself. But... I think just having that self-awareness mm-hmm. that, okay, I need to better the relationship with myself and look inward before I can serve and look outward yeah, and absolutely. work on myself consistently. And I'm still doing it. I mean, I watched that thing this morning. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my day was great yesterday, but I'm like, let's go, Jim. Like, good, good. Good. You know? So. I love it. The second half of the show is the things, now that we understand what it is that drains your batteries, we're always trying to find the things that, charge your batteries up and historically speaking sociologically and psychologically it's the things that bring a lot of people together for like-minded things which is why 100,000 people show up for a college football game you know 80,000 people show up to see Taylor Swift you know what are the things that you do for communitas to bring bring you together with other people to charge your batteries what was your favorite band or music act when you were growing up interesting um I don't listen to music as much as I used to. Now I'm stuck on podcasts and self-education. But I would say, um, man, that's a hard question. Band or musician growing up? Hmm. You stumped me, Virgil. The Beatles? The Beatles. The Beatles? Um, Just because I think it was... Or I took it as a lot of happy music, yeah. light flowing, and you know, I don't, you know, Strawberry Fields. Like I don't really, I didn't really understand that it was. I'm talking about being on acid <laughs> at that time, right? Or I, I think that's what that what it was. Um, but you know, just that light, happy music. I think that was super essential in my life. And you know, it was chaos growing up at that time. But you know, when your parents listen to it, and they're probably using it mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, I think, you know, that's probably what resonated with me. Greatest concert you've ever been to? Greatest concert. Um, pilgrimage two years ago. Um, I saw um, Cage the Elephant, which was really cool. Really good performance. Just great vibes. People were happy. Uh-huh. The sun was setting behind the field. I teach the bassist. The ambient. Really? Yeah. The ambiance, like, it just hit different. And I was like, man, I'm just so lucky to be here. 
and and I think that was one of a that was a very pivotal moment in my life because I never really practiced gratitude. But when I seen those clouds coming down and that orange and you know the stage and and I'm looking around and all these people are just happy and people are coming up to me and talking. I'm like, this is just amazing. You know, it, it felt pure. Yeah. You know, and you're in the country, you're down in Franklin, and you're like, man, this is this feels like a different world I'm in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not downtown Nashville. It's not Bridgestone. Yeah. You know, I, and I think that's where I, I, I get a lot of energy from. Mm-hmm. You're talking about energy, and, and we're talking about what detracts it, but I think that's what, what gave me a lot of energy is mm-hmm. that outdoor atmosphere and that nature vibe, and you're sitting in the grass. And, yeah, for sure. You the know, because I like hiking, and I like yeah. being out in the woods. and The grounding stuff. Yeah. 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 You know, I think it's, uh, you hit on a point that's really important for people to understand. And I get this from a great friend of mine, Dan Maddox. I have gone through some incredibly difficult uh, moments in the last, well, let's say realistically 10 years. Unbelievably difficult. And when you're going through difficult moments, uh, it's very normal, maybe not what you'd prescribe to do the right way, but it's very normal to have your head down. And be very, like, very close to your face. Like, you're trying to control you. You're trying to control the situation. So the head's down. And you only see a very small amount of earth. And he told me, he says, Virgil, I need you to go external. I need you to look as far out as you can see. Because you're not nearly that big. You're so small in this world. And you're viewing it from such an up-close and myopic view. Take time to look as far out as you can. And I'm like, I've never even heard that before, but I'm willing to try it. So we were in this office. So I have never, that's when I realized some things. I have never gone on a walk in a park and actually looked at the forest. I was just watching where my next foot was going. Yep. I never, never went on a walk with somebody and enjoyed the flowers or the view I remember vividly being in New York City, September the 8th, so literally three days before September 11, with my best friend on top of of his building, looking out across New York City. And I didn't take even a real snapshot in my brain to even remember one of the most majestic views in the world. I was just in turmoil, and it was right here. In front of your face, yeah. Yeah. And what you did there why was it so impactful was it was a moment in time in which you were needing it and then you got whacked with an an immense amount of externalization and it brought you like it brought everything back to like wow i am this big i'm very grateful to be able to experience this but man there's so much more to life than me yep yep and i try to get people it's hard people for people to do it until they they get shown that they do it all the time Things that fill them up, they go external. So if you're feeling like your things aren't being filled up for you, look out as far as you can see. Yep. And then from there, take it all in and then bring it back slowly, like a reverse funnel. Like go as wide as you can and then bring it back to you instead of look super duper narrow and think that you're going to be able to go out. Yep. That's really interesting. Wow. I love that. Wow. Favorite book you've ever read, or the most and most impactful? They might not be the same one, but yeah. Um, 
man, I've written a lot recently over the last couple of years. Honestly, Seller Be Sold by Grant Cardone. I read it on a business trip um, in Clearwater Beach maybe nine, ten years ago. And I was in a sales position. No one taught me sales. So it just blew my mind. And what I realized is to be a good salesperson, you have to believe what you're selling. I resigned from that company. And that's what brought me to Nashville. Oh, wow. How about that? So, and Nashville is where I met my wife. Like I said, I never thought I'd get married. I never thought I'd have kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it changed my whole life. So that book was, a, was the starting process to me making a decision, to me making another decision, to me getting up and moving to Nashville. I've never even been to Nashville when I moved here. Like, I don't like country music. I didn't even have a freaking high school friend I knew that lived here or mm-hmm. a buddy on Facebook right but reading that book allowed put into my head like you've got to be committed you've got to love what you're doing you've got to you know in order to to be a great salesperson you've got to believe in what you're selling and I didn't I didn't believe in the ethics I didn't believe in the culture I thought it was all bullshit yeah so that's why I think it's probably the most impactful because look where I am today yeah like I can get on the phone with anybody and invite them to my conference because I truly believe the odds are extremely high to change your life or meet that one person and yeah. have that conversation yeah. because we're putting amazing people in that room. Yeah. So I don't know if I'd be here today with the level of clarity, which equates to the level of confidence to pull off a conference like this, yeah. if I didn't realize that in order to bring people to you or to sell a product or a service, you've got to actually believe that, that it's the right product or service. Mm-hmm. And that changed my whole world. It changed my whole world as I went into entrepreneurship, the multiple companies I've started and sold and closed. And I just won't take a project like that that I don't wholeheartedly believe in. Mm-hmm. Or I won't promote anything that I won't, heart, heart, you know, won't, I won't promote anything I don't wholeheartedly believe in. Yeah, it's interesting. Grant Cardone. You know, define- Which is not my favorite yeah. person, by the way. So I don't want to come off like I'm this real estate guru guy that loves yeah, Grant it's Cardone. interesting. He's very polarizing. I, can't, I don't watch him. I don't subscribe to anything. Um, you know, if he came out with a book, I'd read it just based on what that book did for me. That mm-hmm. was, and, it, and it was one note. Like, I don't even think I finished the book. Yeah. I think I got to that point. You just got what you needed. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, whoa, yeah. I need to implement. I need to make changes, mm-hmm. you know? That's right. Interesting. Yeah, Defiance Fuel. I'm the vice president for Defiance Fuel, which is a water company here in Nashville. It's a very unique water. It's a structured water. And um, it's unbelievable, the science behind it. It's, uh, But anyway, the, the owner of the company, when we got started, gave everybody that's on the board TEDx. I mean, 10X. His book, 10X. 10x. Yeah. Do everything 10 times. Yeah. Um, more than you've done before. So I thought that's pretty interesting. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Hmm. Fight Club. Fight Club. The first Fight Club reference here. Yeah. I've never seen that movie, but I heard that it is it's a polarizing movie from what I've what I've gathered. You either love it or he didn't. I didn't like it the first time because I thought it was just a bunch of dudes beating the shit out of each other in mm-hmm. a basement. And I was like, what is this? Like, I don't need, you know, whatever. But the, the realization behind it, I think, is 
where I've come to love it, where, you know, he, he is the, the, the second character, like it's him the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it just relates back to like, you create what you think, you know? Wow. So I have to watch that. Yeah. I have to watch that. Interesting. Where have you been, where have you traveled to anywhere in the world? That had such a huge impact on you. Like, it's something that you think of frequently. Aruba. Um, I was on a... <laughs> it's funny. We went down there for a birthday, me and my best friend. My birthday is September 11th. His birthday is September 11th. My best friend in the world. Uh, we were born on the same day, which I think is just funny. Same age? Same age. Oh, wow. How about yep. that? Yep. Um, and... We were on this roof deck or this, yeah, this pool party roof deck and we were looking out into the sun setting and the ocean and, um, you know, it was like an EDM festival we didn't even know was going on. So everybody's like taking Molly and raving and dancing and it's just freaking chaos, right? And me and my buddy were like, what did we get ourselves into? Like, we didn't even know it was EDM festival weekend, you know? And I just remember with all the chaos going on in behind me, because I'm up against the glass and I'm looking out towards the ocean and the sunset, and it's just slamming beats and people dancing and pool party, jumping and just craziness, drinking drugs. Like It was nuts. And I just remember being like, why do I live a life where I don't do this more often? Like, why don't I see these sunsets? And why? And again, kind of back to the pilgrimage thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I actually took the second to look at the surroundings and block out the noise behind me. And that was pivotal, pivotal for me because what I realized is I actually am in control. What's holding me back from potentially moving here tomorrow? At that time, I was single. Mm-hmm. At that time, I, made a, I had a lot of money in the bank. Like, mm-hmm. I could have done it. Yeah. I didn't do it, but what it put my life into perspective around was, wow, this is obtainable. I could live here every day. Now, I wouldn't be doing drugs or drinking or partying or listening to EDM music, right? Mm-hmm. But I could, I could live here. Like, so I think it just opened up the possibilities for me. Hmm. Um, that was probably like 20, that was probably 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Maybe even longer, actually. My dad was still alive. So that was probably 12 years ago. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, actually it was, it was, because I just turned 34 last week, and that was 21. Hmm. Interesting. I love that. All right, so the final question. I, I, I waffle around, but you, we've already had my home run uh, question, so this is like a bonus deep one. Everything that you want to have happen that you're cultivating in your life does, and they're going to make a movie about you. Who do you want to play Jim Morris? <laughs> um, Jim Morris. Not me, the other Jim Morris. So, have you ever watched the movie The Rookie? Yeah. His name's Jim Morris. <laughs> yeah. Funny story is I had a scholarship for baseball and to go to college and play full scholarship, they told me, about... A little, out, little bit, about a week, week and a half before, they said, we can only give you 35000 tuition's forty. So I went to my parents, and my parents said, we don't have the money, you're not going to go to college. So I almost didn't go to college. And I ended up pivoting, and I ended up starting in community college four weeks into the semester, literally talked the lady into accepting me. She's like, it's too late. I'm like, if you don't accept me into college, I'm never going to go. 
like I'm going to live in this town forever. I will be on roofs. Not that I'm against that. It's just I knew I had a greater calling, yeah. right? Uh, banging nails. I'm like, I, that's just not me. Um, so I had a lot of resentment against Jim Morris because it was my same name. It, the movie's The Rookie. It's about baseball. It's successful. And I was just mad. Um, and I And I was jealous and I was pissed off. So... The reason why I chose the real Jim Morris for my Instagram handle and things like that mm -hmm. is because I said, rather than me being upset and pissed off at this guy, I'm the real Jim Morris. Like, I'm me, and at the end of the day, um, like, I just need to be real with myself. That's not me, and yeah. I, why should I be mad at this guy that I don't even know? <laughs> Funny, fast forward, a week ago, I met someone that knows him and, and is going to be setting up, potentially setting up a podcast with me and him talking. Oh, uh, how cool is that? I love that. So I would say, if there was ever a movie about me, the guy that I hated for no reason because I was young and shitty stuff happened in my life, like, I want to pay him back maybe and, and make him the character yeah. of my life. How about that? That's you know? really cool. <laughs> I've been thinking about that one uh, myself and like to, the, to me... It's my. I had to break it down. Like, I was doing a podcast, and somebody asked me, "What's my favorite movie?" And I have four that stand out. Five that stand out. You know, I'm like Goodwill Hunting. Oh man, you just took that out of my brain. Literally, that thought just came in my head, yeah. and you just literally said it. Yeah. Literally, wow. That I got goosebumps and everything. That was nuts. So, Whoa, wedding, that was nuts. Wedding Crashers is the funniest movie I've ever watched. Yep. Gladiator. Is maybe there's a scene in Gladiator that's probably the greatest scene in any movie for me, um, because I'm a person who's come from a small town. I didn't have the right last name, so I didn't get the favor a lot. So in when he's in the in the pit after you know slaying everybody, and Joaquin Phoenix comes down into the pit and tells him to take off his mask, and he finds out that it's it's a Maximus and that little sentence that he says to him about, you know, you, you killed your dad and you try to kill me, but if I, I'll either get you here, or I'll get you in the afterlife. I'm like, wow, that right there. Russell Crowe would play me. My favorite movie is Forrest Gump because Forrest Gump makes me laugh like wedding crashers. It makes me think like goodwill hunting and creates a level of disturbance in my soul that makes me want to do something about something yep. like Gladiator did. Wow. There are parts of Gladiator that touched me so deeply that it crushed me. Wow. But Forrest Gump is the one that has all of those pieces, so I have to give it to Forrest Gump, even though I'm not the biggest Tom Hanks fan. But um, It's yeah. funny that Goodwill Hunting gets brought up because about a week ago, I was in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> shower power. And I was like, you know what? My transformation last year and this whole concept of me working on myself like i'm from boston and i was that angry pissed off kid for years right and like just couldn't get out of it with all that resentment so it's funny because like i literally made a reference to myself to goodwill hunting 
in the shower and we talked about like all these things. That's funny. That's funny. What, what synergies, you know? No kidding. Jim, how can, how can my listeners get in touch with you, be, get involved in any of your events? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. Uh, ImpactEffect23.com uh, is the website. You can follow me on Instagram at the real Jim Morris. Jim Morris on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm everywhere. Shoot me a message. Shoot me a, a DM, private message, Facebook, whatever. Like, I, I love to network. If I can help you, I'd be happy to. If I can connect you someone, uh, connect you with someone, I would be grateful to do that. So, yeah, shoot me a message. Let's let's connect. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the verge, buddy. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.